Proverbs chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and we should be able to put one in your hand. And we'll be starting with verse 1. I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 through 4 to start off with, and then we'll open in prayer. Starting with verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to be here tonight. Thank you that uh, with so much flooding in other parts of the country and uh, rain and just uh, all the things that we see in the elements of weather, we have a roof over our head tonight. It's dry in this building. Just those of us who have been uh, to foreign countries to see where no matter what time of the year, people that don't have uh, a sound roof any time of the year, Lord, that just live in those conditions, we have so much to be grateful for. So we thank you for your blessings that are not deserved. We certainly don't deserve anything that you give us, but we're thankful for it. And we just ask tonight, Lord, as we meet here that... uh, We do lift up those that are still hurting in many ways, worried financially, uh, all kinds of other uh, concerns that may be in Southeast Texas and Louisiana. We pray, Lord, that you would use the body of Christ to be your hands and feet. Use us, even as we send teams from this part of the country and others, Lord, that, that lives will be touched, that souls will be saved, and people will be healed and rebuilt. And Lord, for those that are in harm's way now, whether they be in the the islands of the Caribbean, Cuba, the Bahamas, uh, South Florida, Central Florida, all the way up the coast, the Outer Banks, Lord, we just pray uh, that you would spare uh, in only that you can do, Lord, that you would just uh, push uh, this storm in a different direction. And at the same time, Lord, that you would uh, use these things to open the eyes and the ears and the hearts of all of us in this country, Lord, that we'd see the revival that we've been praying for. And Lord, it would start in the church, Lord, that the lukewarm church would awaken. Even here, Lord, that uh, we would see revival and just a a, a zeal for the Lord that would break out in Calvary Chapel of Richmond. Lord, we know that you desire to do far more than we've seen. And Lord, we know that your return is sooner than we would would probably believe. Uh, But Lord, we pray that you just ready our hearts and our minds as we open your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're taking notes, uh, I've titled tonight, A Little um, little Becomes Much. And throughout this passage in the 15th uh, chapter, uh, you'll see that there's these small things uh, that God wants to take in really where our heart is and our response to the Lord, small steps have really big impact. And I preached a message on that similar way back at the beginning of the year. And the Lord looks at the little things that we hear and receive and say, I'm going to do that. I don't know why that little step will matter, but it really will. And so we want to look at each of these areas tonight. And the first one we want to uh, take a look at is what I've tied. If you're taking notes, I don't have a uh, text up on the screen for you to follow on this one. But this first one I call a little humility, a little humility. And uh, in verses 1 through 4, it starts off with a soft answer turneth away wrath. I think we'd all agree, oh, how we need God's help to give soft answers. 
don't we? In text, in Facebook post, in Facebook post, in Facebook posts. I think they're the worst. Uh, and there's people that really use it well and effectively, but on the other hand. But in so many ways, certainly face-to-face and discussions, especially we need help having a soft answer when we really, truly think we're right. <laughs> and then maybe we even are right, right? Right, a lot of right there. But learning to do this, learning to give a soft answer, learning to yield to this in our lives, first and foremost, pleases God. That alone should be enough to end any debate on how we should answer. If we know it pleases God, that should be first and foremost, that's enough. Just to know that God says, hey, I want you to give a soft answer. You say, do you really want me to give a soft answer? God says, I really want you to give a soft answer. You say, okay. That would be, or should be, Enough. That's more than enough reason to follow the counsel of the Word of God. But there's clearly more looking at the text. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We see this all the time. We see it in large crowds. We see it in one-on-one. We see it in marriages. No matter where you look, the answer of our tongue is either going to help the situation or inflame the situation. Many people do damage control after they've participated in the damage, right? That's usually what we hear about, damage control, spin masters, people that come in after someone has already done the damage. But the wise, look at verse 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. The wise, in humility and in self-denial, They do damage control before there's an implosion by leveraging the power of a soft answer. There's power in a soft answer, isn't there? Power to diffuse. The The other one's really not power. It's just destructive. It's diffusing situations rather than inflaming them. A harsh word, it only ups the ante on anger that may already be there frustration that is already there, and things that haven't even yet been said but are going to bubble over by the way we respond. But you might say, but I really want to make my point. I really want to make my point. It's going to be a really good point. Everyone's going to agree with my point. Everyone might agree with your point, but at what cost? Right? What's the cause? That what Solomon is saying, it stirs up anger. There's not a middle verse in between saying, but if you have a really good point. Asterisk. If you have a great point, you may want to hold. Go ahead and say it. But at what cost? What cost to make that point? Uh, well, you could have new problems at work that you didn't have before you made the point. Right? You could have new awkward situations. Don't we love awkward situations? You get to be awkward around that person for the next six months. How lovely is that, right? Oh, I didn't see a Walmart. I hide behind this aisle. There they are over there. 
Hope they didn't see me. Actually, I know we just saw each other, but we pretended we didn't see each other. I know, I know they saw me, but awkward situations, damaged relationships, people that you used to have a good relationship with, but in one moment, one word, escalated anger, increased stress. None of these things are worth it. But God's given us an out and also a model to live by. And this is especially important in the body of Christ, especially with us, because uh, we're to continue in brotherly love. We're to foster brother and sisterly love. We're to uh, encourage one another. We've been in Ephesians 4. Let me read it again. Uh, or We're in Ephesians 5 now, but uh, recently we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Let me remind you what it says. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. To, to keep that peace, you've got to have soft answers when you don't want to give a soft answer. How many times Jesus would have, every time Jesus all would have been, always would have been right to slam people because he's righteous and he's holy and he's perfect, and yet he didn't. He was gracious with people. A humble tongue will also be a pure tongue. It says a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, verse 4. A humble tongue will be a pure tongue that builds us up and others. I mean, uh, when, I can't count how many times, and I hope that you can say the same thing, I've looked back and realized that the Holy Spirit kept me from saying this or that, or texting this or that, or emailing this or that. When my first response was, I can knock this argument out of the park. But that's usually just pride, isn't it? Then you have to, then you slow down, you stop and pray. Lord, how would you have me respond? Sometimes you might have to think on that a lot longer than you want to. Because that answer is not always an easy answer. Nevertheless, uh, the Lord will uh, guide us. He will give us instruction on how to do it. But a humble tongue is a pure tongue. It builds others up. A self-willed tongue will speak perverse things, and really doesn't mind wounding people. You know, the person that has a foul mouth also has a harsh mouth, usually. I know that there may be exceptions to that, but generally speaking, they go hand in hand. Now, the tongue is only a reflection of our what? Heart. Now, the mouth precedes the desires of the heart. The tongue is just a reflection of our heart. And we see here another area of needed humility that starts with the heart. Look at verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. Receiving instruction, receiving instru uh, correction. Verse 7, uh, it says, uh, The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Do we receive knowledge? Do we see, receive correction? Look, uh, look at the end of the chapter. Look at verses 31 through uh, 33. The ear that hears rebuke of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul. But he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. Last, last verse of the chapter. We're still under a little humility here because uh, these passages, some of them 
Uh, they're, they're kind of spread out among the text here. But I want you to see that um, this humility that starts in our heart that will re be reflected in our tongue also uh, manifests itself in how we receive other people's criticism, correction. And not all that, by the way, I, I don't think that the text here is talking about uh, criticism, uh, although we have to be able to receive that uh, in by the Spirit, how do we respond to that? But this correction uh, is just, this is good instruction because it's talking about uh, a father here. He who receives um, a fool despises father's instruction. So we would expect that a good father, and we have a good father, don't we, right? So a good father would give good instruction to his children, and the children would have not the same amount of knowledge, not the same amount of experience, and they would receive that instruction and apply it. I was telling some of these pastors yesterday. I said, "Look, I, you know, asked how, you know, the, the question you always get when you have when you see people and you haven't seen them in a long time, you get this kind of dialogue. How are things going? How you doing? I, one of the answers I give is I'm still learning a lot. And that's for, that's not a false humility statement for me. I I consider it a true statement." I hope you do in your life, that you can learn something from people that don't even know they're correcting you. They could just be talking about something that they just went through, and you would hear it as, wow, I needed to hear that. I need to do that. You ever had those moments where they don't know they're correcting you? They're just kind of saying, hey, I went through this, and I did this, and I, boy, that didn't turn out well. And you would be able to receive that and say, I think I need to apply that in my own life. Or that's, you got all that out of that verse? I need to get that out of that verse. Or whatever it may be, uh, that we would have just a heart that's humble enough to hear things and God uh, speak to us. Can we really receive correction? Could you have someone that, I'm not talking about, say, someone coming up to you, treating you like a four-year-old and saying, you know, let me slap your hand. I'm talking about someone saying, hey, I want to encourage you to do this, you will grow in ways that you never thought possible if you would incorporate this in your life. Could you receive that from someone? You say, how dare you speak into me like that? I, I open myself up to people that are mature in the faith to say, hey, you know, other, other men of God, other persons that you know, I know are walking with the Lord uh, and say, hey, I, I want to be coached up. I want to be teachable. I want to be able to admit that I'm wrong or when we're wrong. Where we need to be is dropping excuses and just having that humble heart and say, hey, I, I can learn in any situation. I want to be teachable. I want to be learning in any situation. A little humility. Let's look at the next uh, section which I've titled, A Little Surrender. A Little Surrender. Starting in verse 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination, Lord, but he loves those who follow, he loves him who follows righteousness. It also says in verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Twice he mentions prayer here. Unless there's a crisis in life, or some kind of life or death situation, for many people, there's no real need 
or dependence on God in prayer. For millions of Americans, unless there's a real need, unless there's some kind of desperate situation, there's not. I mean, all of a sudden, <coughs> prayers for Houston and all that kind of stuff will come up from people that normally are not thinking about God, not praying, not really having any kind of communion relationship with the Lord. But once we surrender our will, prayer is just as essential to us as oxygen is, as water is, as food is, because we are made of body, soul, and spirit. Food does not feed your spirit. Prayer feeds your spirit. Food feeds the body, which, you know, we, we do need to have those things. They all work together. But our prayer life, it begins as a seed of gratitude. And then obedience follows that gratitude or goes hand in hand with that gratitude. But it grows well beyond just gratitude and obedience, and it grows into relationship. It grows into compassion for other people because you might first start out your prayer life may be rather dry when it starts out but it ends up God softens it and then there's compassion for people there's power in our life that comes through prayer power notice the context notice the context here it says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord did you, sit, did you catch that? The sacrifice of the wicked. There, there's some religious works being done here. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Verse 29, he hears the prayer of the righteous. Prayer, or saying a prayer, you know how you know, a lot of people, they grow up and say, well, I was an altar boy, or I was in this religion, or I was in this we, we, we said these prayers that were given to us, and we, we did all these different things, and I still know some of them to this day. They might be memorized prayers. Prayer or saying a prayer can be done by anybody. But God's not looking for prayers and, and religious fig leaves in someone's life, but he's looking for prayer that springs from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Prayer that springs from a relationship that's rooted in the life of Christ. That type of prayer that springs from a relationship with Christ, that type of prayer is delight to God. Did you see what it says? But the prayer of the upright is his delight. Christian, brother and sister, is God delighting in you and your prayer life? That's a good question to ask. That's what it says right here. It says that the prayer of the upright is God's delight. Do you know all the, our prayers go up as incense to the Lord, the ones that are actually done and in sincerity and not perfection we'll get to that is he delighted by your expression of prayer is he delighted by your dependence upon him in prayer God loves when he sees that we truly 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 realize we are utterly dependent upon him absolutely that the Lord delights in. Leonard Ravenhill said, the people that pray the most accomplish the most. Does it pray the most accomplish? Now, that doesn't mean you have to be in a closet and not go to work. But you can be praying throughout the day, talking to God, learning to be in relationship. Yes, there has to be dedicated prayer time, both corporately and individually, but you also have an attitude of prayer in your life. 
in the way we walk through life. And this is something that's learned over time. I mean, it, no, one, no one walks into the Christian faith and is immediately really good at this. It takes time. E.M. Bounds said, much prayer, um, much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power. That's true. Much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power. I don't know about you, but I, I do want God's power in my life. How about you? I need it to preach. I need it to teach. It would be impossible to do what I do. But I really believe it's just as impossible for you to do what you do. You just may not know that yet. A lot of people don't know. I hope you all do know that. But if you say, well, I have a little prayer. God wants to say, well, why don't you come into more? It's a relationship. It springs from that gratitude, but it goes beyond that. Understand that the interwoven cycle of growing in prayer and God delighting in our prayers causes more prayer and more prayerful dependence, which then causes more of God's grace poured out in our life. And it's this cycle of we're deepening in our walk with the Lord. That doesn't mean that God loves us more. That's not what the text says. It doesn't say um, the prayer of the upright, God will love them more. It doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that, that as we grow in prayer, God loves us more. He lo if you're saved, he loves you the same from all eternity. We don't perform our way into God's love. But think about it this way. If God says he delights in our prayer life growing, I think that all of you that are parents will understand. This will help, I, I, I think, trigger an understanding of what it is. Why, why is God delighting in prayer? You don't love your child anymore because they all of a sudden achieve something, do you? If they achieve something, now I finally love you because you achieved something. Did you love them before they achieved anything? Right. But if your child achieves their potential, you don't love them more because they've achieved their potential. Say, I, you know, Let's say your kid says, I don't think I can do this. You say, I think you can. I don't think I can. I think you can. I don't think I can. I think you can. I believe you can. Then they do it. Do all of a sudden you say, now I love you more because you did it. No. You delight that they achieved more, but you actually don't love them anymore. That makes sense? So you're then, you're delighted that they're what? what? Making progress and making strides. This is what God delights in. He delights to see his children making progress and making strides. doesn't mean he loves you any more or loves you any less, but he is delighted to see progress. And I know within our family, I'm delighted to see our girls grow and mature and make progress, but I don't love them more because of that. We love them already, and God loves us already. In verse 29, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. Uh, if someone has not come to Christ, they can pray. But until they pray a prayer of repentance and salvation, really their prayers are hitting the ceiling, coming straight back down. Uh, the people, those that don't know the Lord, they can cry out. And that's not that God, God knows everything. He certainly he knows every word that's ever spoken. Prayers, are, but he's not 
he's not responding to the prayers of anyone until they come to faith in Christ. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, the first act of humility is us kneeling at the cross, right? Once we've knelt at the cross, that initial act of humility then ushers in all subsequent acts of humility. And then God says, now because you've received my son and you have admitted that you're a sinner, you admitted that you're lost, you admitted that you need salvation, you've called upon the name of the Lord, I've saved you, now I'll hear your prayers for all the other things in life. And there's a lot of other things in life, isn't there? Our life doesn't end the day we get saved. In, most, in any respect, it's just begun once we've come to Christ. But God hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears the prayer. When it says righteous, now none of us in this room will go, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. You should know I'm righteous. I, I can show you in the Bible. It says right here, God hears the prayer of the righteous. I'm saved. That makes I'm righteous. No, we don't say, we, we've, we've found right standing because of the blood of Jesus. We found grace. We found right standing. But what God is really saying is those that are the humble, the dependent upon him, the willing, the surrender, the obedient, that should be all things that would describe who we are, that these, these describe our, our utter dependence upon the Lord. It's not the perfect that it says that God hears, the righteous, the, the ones that are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. We're not perfect, but the perfection of Christ covers us. Uh, and so that one, when we pray, God hears us. The one that calls on the Lord and waits on the Lord. They go hand in hand, right? Are you waiting on the Lord? Are you calling on the Lord? They go hand in hand, waiting, calling in our prayer life. In Psalm 40, verse 1, I love this verse. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Even when God definitely loves us, even when we definitely have prayers that he's hearing, he sometimes doesn't act on them in the timing we like. True? Doesn't always go. It's not that he didn't hear it. But he says something along the lines of, hang in there. I'm working on you, and you need more work than you might think. The longer we're saved, the more we realize we do need a lot of work. And yet God is patiently doing that work. But he hears our prayers. And as long as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we do have to come. I, I, what I've taught... Our daughters how to pray. They know I pray often. And Lord, cleanse us. Jesus said that in the model prayer. Forgive us of our trespasses. He said every time you go to the Father, you probably have something you need to leave at the, at the altar. Could be an attitude. But again, it's not to sit there and you know wail for hours about I'm, a, I'm the worst person on earth. But it's simply to say, Lord, I admit I've still got these flaws. I've still got these attitudes. Please cleanse me. And then you can enter into the Holy of Holies and pray. But you really do got to spiritually wash those hands. You know how the priesthood had to do that? They had to wash the hands and everything. Then they could proceed forward. You do have to come in with the right attitude to say, Lord, I need the blood of Jesus. I've <coughs> failed again. But once we do that, we can, call, we can ask the Lord for anything, but that doesn't mean that his timing. We'll have to wait patiently. But he hears our prayer. And that's a good thing to know. Don't you, aren't you glad God hears your prayers? Aren't you glad when you wake up in the middle of the night and there's times where you can't fall right back to sleep, you can just start talking to God? Isn't that great? I mean, you know that he, he's awake at 3 in the morning. 
Like, I wonder if God's up. You don't wonder that. You know that the sun never sets on him. He's above the sun. And so we know that no matter what situation, we, we can pray and he's hearing us. Let's take a look at the next, uh, if you're taking notes, I, the next one I've titled, A Little Rejoicing. A Little Rejoicing. It's found in a few verses. We'll look at uh, one of them in verse 13. And again, the verses that we don't cover, you're just going to have to read chapter 15 on your own. So uh, verse 13, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Verse 15, all the days the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Take a look at this. What is, what is uh, Solomon saying with these verses? He speaks about a merry heart here. What is the recipe for a merry heart? Is it to have a wedding day-like experience every single day of your life? We all, if you've had a wedding day, you might remember that. Wow, that was an awesome day. How do I replicate that nonstop? Is it to get a promotion every day of the year? And the euphoria that you feel like someone thinks I'm valuable. Is it to have perfect health? Is it to have a beautiful, sunshiny day of 71 degrees every day, never a day like tonight? Is it to have no problems, no trials, no issues? Well, we know that none of those things are possible. So that can't be what a merry heart is, right? See if you recognize this verse. Paul speaking. Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. When are we to rejoice? Always. Let me teach you something deep about the Bible. In the Bible, always, always means always. In the Bible. When you and I say, oh, I always do that, that's not always true. Right? I always, no. You didn't do it last week, some might say. But we, we kind of exaggerate that word, but not in the Bible. Always means always. Rejoice in the Lord always. How about this passage? Psalm seven seventeen. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the Lord in the name of the Lord, most high. Here's how our flesh thinks. I will praise the Lord according to my circumstances and my feelings. And I'll sing praise if it's the Sunday morning service. So that's not what the verse says, though. It says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. Well, that standard never stops, does it? If we're praising the Lord according to his righteousness, how often would we be praising him? Anytime the thought of him comes in our mind. Because his righteousness is eternal, perfect. Notice the promise of verse 15. All the days the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Continual feast. <laughs> this does not mean that there won't be seasons of sorrow. doesn't mean that there won't be pain in our life. Doesn't mean that there won't be hurt. Doesn't won't mean that there won't be grieving. There's pain in life for everybody. Everyone experiences pain. No matter who they are, that's part of life. It's one of the things that should draw us to the Lord. Because of the pain, it should draw all people to the Lord. 
But everyone experiences these things. doesn't mean that, that these things won't come, but we don't have to stay in misery and be ruined by it. Amen? We don't have to stay in it and be ruined by it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.8 that he was hard-pressed on every side, but not in despair. Every side. You know, every side means every side. He was having spiritual attacks. He was having physical attacks. He was having people coming against him, all, all kinds of issues in the body. But he said, also said, rejoice, Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. God has provided a way out. Prayer is absolutely part of that way out that we just looked at. Prayer is part of that way out. But also praise, which cheers our countenance. Look what it says in verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. Praise changes our countenance. We talked on Sunday about walking circumspectly, a word that we don't use a lot. But we talked about what that meant, which means to act with both accuracy and diligence. And this works perfectly for praising and rejoicing. Think about it. It is 100% accurate to say that God wants us to praise him. Would we all agree with that? That is 100% accurate because he said it. By the way, we could, we could read many other verses beyond Psalm 717 that say that we are to praise God, that he is telling us this is good for us, commanding it, so we know it's 100% accurate to say that we should be praising the Lord and that we should be rejoicing in him in every situation. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying this is the God's counsel to us. This is his medicine, if you will. That he says, this will work. This, you take two of these, rejoice and praise and call me and a little while later, these will work. They're spiritual in nature. But we have to believe they'll work. Amen? We have to believe that it's true. We have to believe these things. We have this big hashtag we believe back there because we believe that the word of God will never fail. If we have to believe it, and then we diligently apply it, right, circumspectly, diligently applying it, then we will see the fruit of it. Eventually, fruits will bud. You plant a tree, wait long enough, take good care of it, the fruit will eventually come out. So many times in my own personal life, I'm speaking for me here, but hopefully you can relate, there's times where I've been anxious. There's times when I've been fearful. There's times when I've been in pain, physical pain, other kinds of pain. There's times when I've been angry at someone. Yes, even pastors get angry at somebody. And, and not only do pastors have to hold the tongue, maybe more in the course of their lifetime because you actually get feedback in life more <laughs> when, you're in a public, when you're in a public platform. And usually, you know, it's not always the most informed uh, you know, they, they hear one thing, but they've not, they have no context for where they're forming. But nevertheless, there's times when I've been agitated, times when I've been frustrated. There's times when I've been unmotivated, apathetic, tired. The list goes on. Can you relate to any of those words in your life? Right, everyone does. We're not... There's nothing unique about any of those things. Everyone experiences those feelings. The only people that... that You'll find that 
haven't are lying. They said, I don't have any of that. If you could jump in their mind, you would say, I just saw them all. Not at one time necessarily. But the feelings, in those times of feelings, whatever they are, whether they're anxiety, fear, whatever it may be, these feelings, I'll be reminded by the Lord again and again and again. I thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit, don't you? The Holy Spirit will just kind of, I don't hear some audible voice, but something reminds me to praise and rejoice. Something reminds me to say, hey, remember that message you preached that Wednesday night? Now you have to do it. And again and again, the Lord will remind. You can rejoice in a song, in a prayer, in a verse, maybe all of the above. Maybe it does happen in the middle of the night. Maybe it's in traffic. I don't know where. But these things happen, and the Lord will remind you, rejoice. Sometimes, even when we start rejoicing, it takes time. That moment, it doesn't immediately start to shed the feelings that you may be in, but it will when we keep saying, Lord, I'm going to keep investing here. I'm going to keep rejoicing and praising anyway. I'm going to keep rejoicing and praising anyway. You know, really good investors, the best investors in the world, uh, they invest for the long term, right? They invest for the long term. They buy low and they sell high, right? They invest for the long term, and they realize that, that real gain takes time. And so if someone says, well, I, I did that. I praised the Lord for two minutes back in 2016, and it didn't work. How long ago was that? Well, that was about 13 months ago. You're going to have to invest in this a lot more than two minutes back in 2016. God is not, he's not like a vending machine. I put it in, out comes the soda or whatever. No, it's a long-term thing, but it will start to change the way that we think. And, and, and some of the things that used to make us anxious won't anymore. Some of the things that used to frustrate us won't frustrate us anymore. Some of the things that used to get on our nerves won't get on our nerves anymore. And you'll just kind of look back and say, when did I stop not caring about that? And God will say, all the time you kept learning to rejoice and praise. That was part of it. Prayer life is part of it too. But again, he's identifying this cheerful countenance. But it works. It's like scrubbing a pot. That's always fun to do, right? like scrubbing a pot, that baked on, burnt on stuff that seems like it's never coming off the pot, and you let it soak there, and you had the detergent in there, and, you, and you're scrubbing it, and then you got one of these uh, little Pampered Chef little brown things. They scrape anything off. If you don't have one, you don't know what I'm talking about, they're about yay big, and they're awesome. But anyway, uh, they, and you get a good workout with that thing, and some pans are faster than other pans, but it's the same process. The same water, the same detergent, the same elbow grease. And over time, it rubs out all of those things that otherwise would make it unusable. And God wants to take the things out of us that otherwise make us unusable. And praise and rejoicing does that. The accuracy of God's word never fails. Everything else does fail. Understand this, brother and sister. Everything else does fail. The only thing that doesn't fail is the word of God. One last thing on this. Look at verse 30. It says, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. 
do you want the eyes of your heart to rejoice? Do you want healthy bones? I mean, here he's talking about there's a metaphysical connection with joy and strengthening of the body. I believe the immune system. I'm not, this is not faith healing stuff we're talking about. We're talking about that God says, generally speaking, if you're in good health, but you have no rejoicing and praising in your life, and you have no prayer life in your life, you're going to damage your own body. However, on the, on the flip side, if you're in generally good health, and even if you're not in good health, this is one of the best things you could do more than, more than eating right, more than sleeping right, although all those things are important. They all matter. But the Lord says you start to invest in a prayer life, you start learning to praise and rejoice, and you say, well, where do I find this good report? Right here. This is your good report. People that read consumer reports do not relieve anything. Matter of fact, their mind, you know, like, uh, all the stuff we can read on the phone, all that stuff, those are not, even if they're nice news, they're not the good report. This actually satisfies the soul. And it reminds us of the very things that cause us to rejoice. And we say, when you look at the news, then the Lord reminds you, hey, I'm still sitting on the throne. I've got everything under control. That's reason to rejoice. Amen? That's a good report. Last thing we want to look at, we've got to come to a close here. A little Thanksgiving. A little Thanksgiving. We finish with that. We've got Thanksgiving, the holiday coming. Uh, not so far away now, probably eight, nine weeks out. But let's look at uh, a couple more verses as we come to a close. Uh, verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf and hatred. I also love uh, verse, let's take a look here, verse 27. Uh, verse 25 first the Lord will destroy the house of the proud but he will establish the boundary of the widow that's a great verse isn't it the Lord will destroy the house of the proud but he will establish the boundary of the widow and we'll say well how does that tie in just one second and then the last one verse 27 he was greedy for gain troubles his own house but he who hates bribes will live. So each of these verses, uh, collectively, they speak to not just thanksgiving. They speak to trust. Do you trust God or not? Do you trust that God's given you everything you absolutely need right now for today? Elizabeth Elliot used to always say that. That uh, Some of you probably know who Elizabeth Elliot is, right? She used to say you have everything you absolutely need from God right now. If God, if God truly thought you needed it, you'd have it. Trust, faith, right? Thanksgiving and faith go hand in hand. Do we believe God or do we not believe God? If we don't believe God, we get really ungrateful. And then contentment, right? That what we have, we're saying, okay, <laughs> I'm content with this. Paul talked about godliness with contentment is great gain. But a contented person is far more happy than someone who's not content. As well... A person who is truly thankful, if someone really is, say, man, this person is such a thankful person. A really thankful person will flourish in trust, faith, and contentment. Would you agree with that? 
If someone is genuine, man, they're just a thankful, thankful soul. They'll flourish in faith. They'll flourish in trust. They'll flourish in contentment. I posted on social media last week a quote by C.S. Lewis. Some of you may have seen it, but I'll say it for those of you that didn't. Um, it's particularly true in the light of um, eternity. When you, when you think about eternity, he said, He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Has no more than he has God only. If you have God, you really have everything there could ever be to have eternally. There's nothing to add to God. When you get to heaven, nothing that we have is going with us except for us and any souls that got saved with us. Nothing else is going. Not the house, not the cars, not the clothes. Nothing else is going with us. Just our souls that are already having God as residence in us. Now we go and have residence in his house. But Solomon says, beyond that, with a little fear of the Lord, it's better than great treasure. And that is talking about now. Someone that has only a little is better off, according to God, than someone that has a whole lot but does not have the fear of the Lord. Doesn't have a, if, by the way, if someone doesn't have a fear of the Lord, they don't have a relationship with the Lord. The fear of the Lord comes with first submitting humility to the Lord. So once we have this relationship with the Lord, which starts with the fear of the Lord, but then grows beyond that, we have the treasure of a relationship with God. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. You know, the thing is, the reason why this is so true, um, people that truly are in love with Jesus, uh, they're not looking at someone who has it all and saying, I so wish I had your life. They don't look at it that way. The, the people that are like constantly watching celebrities and this and that, and what are they doing, and what are all the stuff they have, and they wish they could be them, don't really know the peace that surpasses all understanding. They don't have that relationship with God. But a little bit with the fear of the Lord. The apostles, would you agree with me that the apostles were not a bunch of rich dudes? But you couldn't bribe them to say, hey, would you like to be a trillionaire and get out of this, you know, really low-end lifestyle you have? No. They had the fear of the Lord. That was better uh, to them. And he goes on to say in the 17th verse, better is a dinner of herbs where love is, a dinner of herbs versus, I know this is hard for you guys, better than a really good steak dinner. Now, for most of the men in here, and some of you ladies too, because my girls like to eat, but anyway. Uh, so if, um, if I'm offering you, hey, we got a salad and we got a steak cooked to order from like Morton's or Ruth Chris or something like that. Which would you like to have? Most people would say, uh, I can eat a salad any day. You know, I'll take that, right? But he's saying uh, it's better to have a dinner of herbs where there's love <coughs> than a fatted calf where there's hatred. You know, I, I, if you've ever caught even a little bit of these reality TV shows of the celebrity people, 
Have you ever noticed that like almost every night ends up with mascara like coming down? There's like mascara all down like every woman's face and in, in the show, and uh, uh, someone drives off and the wheels are peeling, and um, there's you know, like someone throws a punch, and there's all kinds of nonsense. You're like, this looks like a really happy bunch of wealthy people, right? And you look at all that and you say, isn't it nice? that the body of Christ, God says, I'm not going to promise you a whole lot, but I'll give you peace. I'll give you love. I'll give you relationship. All the things that people are trying to buy with money and stuff that you can't really buy with money and stuff. So these things, if you have it all, but you're filled with pride and you're filled with envy and you're filled with discontent, you know the person that has a million won't be satisfied with a million. They'll need two person has two will need six and the person has six and you know the celebrities are really hyper jealous of each other even and it's it's not a good place to live not only for eternity uh, for the, the fact that uh, they're missing what they most need but people that have it all supposedly uh, don't have any of the things that Jesus gives spiritually that can't be bought in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 5.18, it says, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for us. We're going to talk more about this Sunday when we jump back into Ephesians. But God's will for us in this room is to, if you notice, we're to be rejoicing always, thanking God always, praying to God always, and these things, as we invest in them, as we're spiritual long-term investors as we invest in these day after day, week after week, month after month, we will look back and see, wow, I have peace I used to not have. I've come a long way. I'm not jealous of my neighbor's brand new car anymore. I'm not jealous of someone and so got a promotion anymore. I'm not constantly craving if I just had this, if I just had this, if I just had this. Oh, no, this catalog came in. If I just had that, you're able to look at it and say, yeah, in the trash can. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is so faithful and true, that you desire for us to have a cheerful countenance. You desire for us to have a relationship in prayer that you delight in, that you see the progress of our growing, and that, Lord, that the things that have a stranglehold on so many would not have a stranglehold on us. And instead, Lord, we could have a dinner of herbs and still experience your love and your peace and even prefer it over something that might, in the world's perspective, be so much more valuable. But Lord, you give us a peace and a rest and a joy that money can't buy. We thank you that a little by your spirit becomes much in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord give it. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.